0: Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and, and it. it
1: goes down to Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. <laughs> Cannabisradio.com presents The Russ Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation.
2: Hey, this is great, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We well, hey. Now, here's your host. Radical, Russ Melville.
3: Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Friday, July twenty second, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to beautiful legal potland, Oregon. We made it to the weekend. So glad to have you here. We've got a great show for you today. It's going to be a fantastic show, believe me. You'll never hear a better show than the show we're going to bring you today. I can assure you, I guarantee it. believe me, I'm the only person who can bring this show to you. I'm the only one who can get it done. Believe me. <laughs> I've been watching too much of that Republican National Convention. I don't know if you saw that last night, Donald Trump uh, accepting the, uh, the nomination and going on and on and on. So <laughs> I my mind's a little warped. I'm going to have to get myself back on track. We've got some uh, great marijuana news for you today coming up on the show. Uh, in the Cannabis Focus, we're going to take a look at the aforementioned Republican presidential nominee and his call for building... A huge wall. It'll be huge, and Mexico's going to pay for it. Going to build a great border wall, he says, that's going to keep out the immigrants and the drugs. I don't know about the immigrants part. I doubt he can do that, but uh, I know for sure he can't keep the drugs out. We're going to talk about that in the Cannabis Focus. Following that, we'll get into some drug war data mining where, bless my heart, this is the best possible gift I could have gotten going into the weekend. The first ever public opinion poll, to show plurality support for marijuana legalization among Republicans. That's right. Even Republicans now are coming around to marijuana legalization. We'll take a look deep into those numbers in the drug war data mines. Also coming up on the show today, we've got time for a stupid prohibition story. Uh, Remember me telling you about Steinborn's law? Only break one law at a time. Well, here's a perfect example of that coming up in drug war data mining. We'll also uh, get, into our activist agenda, we've got a quick update to bring you on the NFL and medical cannabis, Uh, a new announcement from the NFL today that uh, could be good news for the medical use of cannabis by the players. And then in the radical rant, uh, we'll take a look at the diminishing returns of marijuana legalization, my theory on how legalization isn't going to get better and better as it goes on. Before we get to all that though, we got to start with the Cannabis Radio News. In the headlines today, we're going to start off in Italy, which may become the next country to legalize marijuana. We got a crazy story coming out of a small town in Colorado about their tap water that uh, you'll know is ridiculous when you hear it. Uh, in Illinois, a great a bit of a judicial decision on uh, medical marijuana qualification for migraines to tell you about. We've got the uh, fundraising numbers for two different medical marijuana initiatives in Arkansas to tell you about. And uh, in Baltimore, they're looking for more cops, and they're beginning to think, that if you smoked pot, maybe that wasn't such a big deal after all. We'll bring you all that coming up right after this first break. And then stay tuned for our two Toker Talk Radio. Uh, we've got some uh, stories about a British Air, Airways flight that smelled like pot. We've got an update on some industrial hemp states, some new ones that have joined the rest of us. The uh, a look at saliva drug testing. They're trying to pilot this out in Michigan State in uh, a few counties. We'll tell you why saliva drug testing is bullshit for marijuana. And uh, we've got a letter from some U.S. senators calling for the DEA to restrict the production of these addictive opioids. All that's coming up in the next two hours of the Russ Belville Show, live on CannabisRadio.com. And then stay tuned for Stoner Jesus coming up at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, live here on CannabisRadio.com. We'll take a break, and then the Cannabis Radio news is next.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com
5: Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP.
4: CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific during the Russ Belville Show, or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first.
1: Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook.
3: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, Your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
1: It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds.
3: This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, July 22, 2016. Rome, Italy. Italy may become the next country to legally regulate marijuana with a legislative proposal expected to be debated in Italy's Chamber of Deputies on Monday, July 25th. The bill would decriminalize the possession of 15 grams of marijuana for recreational use at home and 5 grams for use outside of the home. Furthermore, it would allow the cultivation of up to 5 plants for personal use and authorize cannabis clubs for up to 50 members. In terms of distribution, the Italian government would grant licenses for the production and sale of marijuana inside national territory. The bill prohibits import and export of marijuana, public use of marijuana, and driving under the influence. Marijuana reform enjoys broad support among Italian citizens. According to a recent survey by Ipsos Public Affairs, 60% of Italian citizens agree that the country's parliament should consider policy alternatives to the current prohibition regime, and 83% think that the current laws prohibiting marijuana consumption are inefficient. Furthermore, over 70% of Italians believe that the country should seek to implement a model of marijuana regulation similar to that of Colorado's hugo colorado officials told residents of a small colorado community not to drink or shower in tap water thursday because one of the town's wells may have been contaminated with thc marijuana's intoxicating chemical no illnesses have been linked to the water in hugo a town of about 730 people some 100 miles southeast of denver said lincoln county public health director susan kelly thc was detected in tests conducted with field kits Although other field tests were negative, Sheriff's Captain Michael Yowell said, Investigators found signs that one of Hugo's wells had been tampered with, but they hadn't determined whether someone deliberately tainted the water, Yowell said. The FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation are helping with the case, he said. Peter Perrone, owner of a marijuana testing facility in the Denver area, expressed doubt that THC could be in the water. The chemical isn't water-soluble. water soluble Chicago, Illinois. Cook County Circuit Court Associate Judge Rita Novak has ordered the Illinois State Department of Health to reconsider adding migraine headaches to the list of conditions that qualify for medical marijuana use. In a lawsuit against the state, an anonymous man who uses marijuana to combat severe migraines that he suffers three times a week for hours a day... Sued to make his medicine legal. He has tried every prescription drug and narcotic recommended for migraine to no avail. Other lawsuits pending ask the state to add irritable bowel syndrome, chronic postoperative pain, osteoarthritis, intractable pain, autism, and polycystic kidney disease to the state's condition list. Little Rock, Arkansas. A family trust associated with the liquor industry has donated almost half of the $339,000 raised last month for a medical marijuana ballot measure in Arkansas. The Beavens Family Trust, which owns the Lake Liquor Store in Maumel, kicked in more than $164,000 to the initiative campaign for the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Amendment, which has yet to make the ballot. The competing initiative, which has made the ballot, the Arkansas Medical Cannabis Act, raised another $142,000 last month. The Medical Initiative on the Ballot Institute, the Medical Initiative on the Ballot allows patients who live farther than 20 miles from a dispensary to grow their own cannabis at home. The Medical Marijuana Amendment, still aiming for the ballot, allows no patients to cultivate cannabis at home. Both initiatives would protect out of state patients in Arkansas. Baltimore, Maryland, saying it is, quote, fundamentally inconsistent with where we are as a society, end quote. The police commissioner in Baltimore wants to relax the policies that bar prior marijuana users from becoming police officers. Current rules state that any applicant who has used marijuana more than 20 times ever or more than five times since adulthood is ineligible to become a cop. The policy was established in the heyday of the war on drugs in the 1970s. Maryland has since decriminalized marijuana possession. Quote, I don't want to hire altar boys to be police officers necessarily, Police Commissioner Kevin Davis said. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, July 22, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
4: We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio.
6: <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick?
2: Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice! PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
1: stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment.
1: Okay, maybe you're high too.
3: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at
1: gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
3: Well, today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to uh, reminisce about the Republican National Convention that took place in Cleveland over these last four days. Donald Trump appeared yesterday and uh, delivered his acceptance speech for the nomination for president. And during that speech, he talked about how he was going to build a great border wall to keep out the illegal immigrants and the drugs that are flooding over our borders. And I just wanted to talk about the second part about that, the, the wall that's going to keep the drugs out. First of all, I don't know if Donald watches the news much, but uh, has he seen the tunnels? <laughs> has he seen the tunnels that El Chapo and, and the Mexican cartels have built uh, underneath the American border? You build a wall, you just make people want to build tunnels. So, number one, that's a flawed idea. The number two problem with this idea is that not all drugs have to come across the border. We're plenty capable of growing our own cannabis here in America, manufacturing our own methamphetamine, harvesting our own mushrooms, cooking up our own MDMA and LSD. So, I, you know, yeah, cocaine's a little harder to come by if you can't get it from a southern source. Uh, opium a little harder to come by, but there's a whole bunch of drugs that a wall is not going to stop. And furthermore, even if you were successful in building that wall on the Southern border, what's to stop the drug smugglers from then bringing it in from Canada, You're using a boat to get around it, uh, all sorts of ways that you could get around that situation. And the final fatal flaw with this idea of a border wall that's going to stop drugs from coming into this country, is that we've already tried this on a small scale. They're called supermax prisons. We have these supermax prisons with big, huge walls around them. With double walls, right? Like you have to get – if you go past one wall, there's a moat area and then you got to go past another wall. There's there's fencing and razor wire and lasers and dogs and, and snipers, <laughs> guards watching 24 hours a day. These supermax federal penitentiaries all throughout the country and yet you can still get drugs in them. <laughs> you can still get drugs in a federal supermax prison. So we can't even build a wall around like an acre <laughs> or smaller – to keep drugs out, what makes you think we're going to build a 2,000-mile wall on our southern border that's going to uh, keep the drugs out? It is just so frustrating to have such a repellent candidate at the uh, top of the uh, Republican ticket and then have to look over to the other side at the Democratic candidate and find plenty of reasons not to like that candidate either. Just today, there was a release by WikiLeaks of almost 20,000 emails uh, from the Democratic National Committee that showed the Democratic National Committee, as we Bernie Sanders supporters have said for years, for not years, but for throughout the whole campaign, uh, the DNC was uh, sandbagging Bernie Sanders. They were in the tank for Hillary Clinton. Uh, one email shows one of the DNC uh, uh, chiefs uh, calling on. Uh, uh, a look at Bernie Sanders as to whether or not he was a Jew or whether or not he's an atheist. Cause if he's an atheist, that would uh, be more politically damaging to him for the, for the campaigns to use. Yeah. So it, it's pretty nasty and it shows once again that, you know, this lesser of two evils is getting tougher and tougher to have to determine <laughs> to have to choose between. Now I've made my position clear. I cannot vote for Hillary Clinton. I would never vote for Donald Trump, though. Can't vote for Hillary Clinton. And uh, fortunately, I live in Oregon, where she's most likely to win the state. It's not going to be a battleground state. So my vote isn't really going to matter that much. I'm leaning at this point toward uh, voting for Governor Gary Johnson just to get the libertarians, or or for that matter, any third party, some traction in our politics. Uh, At this point, if you say you're voting for Gary Johnson and you get picked up on a poll – Well, if he gets up to 15% of the polls, he makes it to the debates. If he makes it to the debates, he becomes a more viable alternative for some people who don't want to vote for either of those two candidates. I think Gary Johnson would pull more votes from Trump than he would from Hillary. And uh, I think uh, that would be in the long term good for this democracy. It's a scary season and as cannabis consumers if you're just making the decision on who to vote for president based on their policies on cannabis uh it's you know it's a Gary Johnson vote he's the one who wants to legalize it uh Trump you can't pin down one way or another what he thinks about cannabis uh back in the 90s he was saying the war on drugs is a failure we need to legalize it regulate it Nowadays, he's come back around to the more prohibitionist position, saying uh, kind of a states' rights thing, though. If Colorado and Oregon want to legalize, he's fine with that, but doesn't support it on a national level. That's about where Hillary is on this issue. Uh, states should be the laboratories of democracy, and they should be allowed to proceed with their marijuana policies. So on the marijuana issue, we've got the two main candidates, the two big party candidates, basically in about the same place as states' rights. And then we got the libertarian candidate uh, supporting full-on legalization and regulation of cannabis. But there are so many other issues by which we're going to have to judge these presidential candidates. And uh, we'll focus on a lot of them here on this show
6: management corporation and let our team get you ready to grow 415-269-8015 that's 415-269-8015 or visit c-a-n-n-a-management.com
0: i'm radical russ from the russ bellville show we're going Sir Richard Ransom. All been done to people by the current approach.
6: Man. You know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of bot smokers. John Popper on the telephone.
3: You
5: know, I think in the 60s there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so kind
3: It's the Russ Bellville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com.
1: The Russ Bellville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009.
3: Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The Fingerboard Extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today. Or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we want to take a look at some fantastic news Uh, that's been reported by, uh, I'm picking it off off, off of Vice News, but it's a poll from the research firm YouGov, and it's the first ever to show that Republicans support marijuana legalization. Now, it's a a plurality support, so not a majority at this point, but more Republicans are for legalization Then are against legalization. It's 45% in favor versus 42% against. That's amazing folks. Like I said, in 40 plus years of polling, this is the first one ever to show that Republicans are in support. Now this has increased over time. It was bound to happen someday, but this fast, it's quite amazing in January of just 2014, only 28% of Republicans supported legalizing marijuana. Just this last December, it was 36% in favor, 50% opposed. So in the span of a couple of years, this shift has happened, has moved from 28% to 45% in favor. And I've got to believe A lot of that has to do with the lack of severe consequences that have occurred since the legalization of marijuana in now four states and Washington, D.C. This is mirroring the trend among national voters, where we're now up to 55% support in some polls. And the last 10 national polls to have asked about marijuana legalization, 10 in a row, have shown 50% or greater support for marijuana legalization. This is becoming an increasingly mainstream idea. When asked about the government's efforts to enforce marijuana and whether or not they cost more than they are worth, 54% of the Republicans surveyed agreed that the efforts to enforce marijuana laws cost more than they are worth. And when we look among the other party identifications, Democrats, 63% in favor, 25% opposed. Independents, 55% in favor, 33% opposed. And again, the plurality among Republicans, 45 to 42. When asked about whether or not marijuana is a gateway drug, and this is among just the Republicans, Back in December, 44% thought that marijuana was a gateway drug. 37% said it wasn't. That's dropped slightly. 43% now, 1% drop. 43%, I should say one point drop. 43% think it's a gateway drug. 40% do not think it is a gateway drug. And looking among the gender gaps on marijuana legalization in this poll, the gender gap is closing. 58% of men thought the use of marijuana should be legalized. 53% of women thought it should be legalized. And the people against legalizing marijuana, it's 34% opposition among men, 32% opposition among women, so less opposition. The difference being that more women are unsure. There was a 15% of the women surveyed were unsure whether or not marijuana should be legalized. But this 58 to 53 difference between men and women is one of the narrowest gaps I've found in some of the polling that usually ranges between 8 and 15 points difference with women under a majority. Now we find women in the majority at 53%. Among the age groups, people 65 and older still do not support marijuana legalization. Uh, It's uh, 47 against 40% for but 13% undecided, which is a pretty decent number of undecided among the older people. When we look among the uh, racial categories, there is no racial category that doesn't support marijuana legalization, but blacks come in at the lowest level of support, just a plurality, 44% support compared to whites at 56% and Hispanics at 64% support. Surprising me there that uh, we'd have a, a, a greater support there. And, of course, the region still most difficult to legalize in is the Midwest. But even in the Midwest, there's majority support for marijuana legalization in this poll at 46%. Highest support in the West at 65%, not surprising since we've legalized. But also a surprise in this poll, the South comes in at 53%. And uh, to have majority support for legalization in the South is pretty amazing. Looking at whether people think marijuana is a gateway drug, 52% disagree. Majorities disagree that marijuana is a gateway drug. And when we look among the uh, party uh, breakdowns on that, of course, uh, Democrats and independents, uh, 57%, much greater uh, understanding that it's there's no such thing as gateway drug. And on the question as to uh, whether or not the government should enforce marijuana uh, laws, federal laws in the states that have legalized 57% said the feds should keep hands off. And the breakdown on that, uh, comes 61% Democrat, 48% Republican, kind of surprising that, uh, not more Republicans than Democrats would be against federal interference in an issue for the states. 48% of the people or 46% of the people say they have tried marijuana, including of Republicans who say they have tried marijuana. We'll take a look at uh, more of these polling issues as they come up here in our Drug War Data Mining. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, we've got a stupid prohibition story that reminds you only break one law at a time, people.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com.
8: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Boober Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way.
7: It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from the SilverTour.org. an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com.
1: You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year.
3: don't want to spend money on a night out but don't know what to do other than watching tv or playing video games consider playing guitar bass banjo or mandolin the instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense stop by the fingerboard extension downtown corvallis at 120 northwest second street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com
1: as a public service the russ belleville show reminds you that smoking marijuana does not make one stupid however some stupid people do smoke marijuana and prohibition is always waiting for another victim Learn your lesson from today's Stupid Prohibition story.
0: With your Stupid Prohibition Stories, I'm old-timey 1920s radio reporter Freddie Farrack. This just in from Westlake, Ohio. Police say they found a number of counterfeit credit cards when checking in on four travelers who stopped at a Westlake Hotel parking lot this week to smoke pot. On Monday afternoon at a hotel on Sperry Drive, officers checking on the security of delegates in for the Republican National Convention found the quartet in a rented 2016 GMC Acadia. When they asked them to get out, they said Carissa Murray of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, stumbled and dropped the cards. Police found a label maker, coding devices, laptops, and other items useful for cloning credit cards in the vehicle. Police said they were on their way to visit one of the passengers' relatives. Murray, along with Darren Neal of Sioux Falls and Richard Carter and Angela Hogue of Chicago, have been charged with felony theft. Their cases have been bound over to a grand jury where additional charges may be preferred. All four were jailed in the Cuyahoga County Jail on Thursday. I'm Freddie Farrakh with your stupid Prohibition.
3: Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Freddie. So, you're running a counterfeit credit card ring. You're cloning credit cards. You got the cloned credit cards and the machines to make them on your person. You've got them in the car. And you're carrying weed. And you want to go smoke it in a public parking lot. During the Republican National Convention where they've got ultra-heightened security. (laughs) This is one of those cases where um, I'm glad they got busted. Nobody should go to jail for marijuana. These people were thieves, fraudsters, cheating people. And um, this kind of highlights one of the uh, issues that I think cops have with losing marijuana as a probable cause with with marijuana legalization because a lot of times when these cops are able to go after someone for marijuana they find that hey look what other crime was going on here in the background and so that's where I think a lot of cop opposition comes from is like from their point of view the constitution is something that makes their jobs harder they gotta observe people's civil rights (laughs) and stuff and marijuana is the key that unlocks the Fourth Amendment for them, allows them to get right in there and start investigating. When they've got a hunch that someone's up to no good, they can say, I smell weed. They can plant a bag on them. They can have a dog do a false alert, whatever it might be. And then they can go ahead and start prosecuting that crime. So that's why uh, I think a lot of them oppose uh, ending the uh, ending the prohibition on marijuana is they just feel like. They've got so few tools in their toolkit as it is. got to follow so many rules to try to get a perfect bus that will hold up in court that if we take the marijuana away from them, they feel that there's going to be a whole lot of bad guys getting away with it. There's going to be more chaos on the streets. I think for some of them, I think for some of them, it's kind of a cost-benefit analysis. Like, yeah, people shouldn't go to jail for weed, and yeah, it's kind of violating their civil liberties, but that's the cost – of keeping order in a chaotic, violent, crime-ridden, gun-filled society. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't agree with this point of view at all. <laughs> uh, tough shit. You have to obey the Constitution and and you know take care of people's civil liberties and protect and serve them. Tough shit. That, that we're going to legalize marijuana. It's going to make your job a little harder. Sorry. Our lives as cannabis consumers should not be the collateral damage in law enforcement and justice in this country. And as we've seen, as we legalize marijuana, it actually takes away a lot of that problem, a lot of that crime prohibition problem that we have around marijuana. It takes takes less of their uh, – it's, it's, it's a less cogent argument of theirs to keep saying that we need to be prohibited, we need to be locked up when you can see the businesses that are formed, the tax revenue that is raised – the economies that increase, the property values that go up. We've seen that in Colorado. We've seen that in Washington state. We're seeing it here in Oregon where my God, the rents are going up so fast around this area. And that's why I think those, uh, in that previous story, that's why the Republicans are starting to come around to this. They see, Oh, wait a minute. Money. Hmm. Yeah. We like money. <laughs> that's what I think's happening there. So Remember Steinhorn's rule, everyone, only break one law at a time. If you're um, going to make the decision to be a criminal counterfeiter, maybe you ought to just lay off the weed for a while. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got a, a quick update on our story about marijuana in the NFL. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the league, made an interesting announcement today that may impact the... Uh, issue of marijuana in the NFL. We'll uh, get you that update when we return.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: to sale clicks to conversions and more you're listening to the cannabis radio network
2: while the feds and state are doing their dance you still need to transact business and manage your cash go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. they pay you and they earn rewards points
1: Activism begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's Activist
3: Agenda. Today, on the Activist Agenda, I want to talk about uh, the NFL and its marijuana policies, particularly as it refers to medical cannabis use by the players. As we know, the uh, use of cannabis to treat and prevent the damage from concussions. Is becoming more and more known by players and the people that uh, follow the NFL. The movie Concussion that featured Doctor or featured Will Smith playing Doctor Bennett Omalu, the man who discovered chronic traumatic encephalopathy in the uh, brains of deceased players, uh, has been uh, a big topic. They they had a, a concussion uh, lawsuit that the NFL settled. And there continues to be more lawsuits, including a lawsuit over painkiller abuse in the NFL. And Eugene Monroe, the player that just uh, retired, who's been calling for medical cannabis uh, study in the NFL, uh, and and the other players who've been calling for this, have always met opposition from the commissioner of the league, Roger Goodell, who has just played the there's no medical use card. Uh, Goodell, for the longest time, has said, you know, our medical personnel have looked at this, and at this time, they don't find there's compelling evidence, blah, blah, blah. We need more research, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And, of course, the players are feeling that the NFL shouldn't follow the science on this. The NFL should be leading the science on this. If they really care about their players and there's any sort of promise that medical cannabis use could protect them, the NFL should be pushing On that front with the power it's got as a marketing organization. I mean, look at what they do every October, putting pink on the uniforms to support breast cancer. They can do that. They can put the money in the marketing forward to look at cannabis as a neuroprotectant for these for these uh, athletes and their head trauma. But as get as it gets pointed out, the NFL is consists of 32 teams whose owners tend to be older billionaires. And they're way behind on the understanding of medical cannabis, the support for reform, and so forth. That's part of the problem. Well, today we have an update. And the update comes from Commissioner Roger Goodell, who announced that the Chiefs, the, the league's chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Elliot Pellman, is retiring. And that they're going to get a new chief medical officer To ensure that the clubs have access to the most up-to-date information and that research funds are spent in an effective and targeted way. Now that's good news in that perhaps this new guy coming in, whoever it ends up being, will be someone who's a little better informed on this. A little more open to the idea of studying cannabinoids for neuroprotectant properties, for pain-killing properties. It's in the NFL's best interest with the fact they've got these, uh, you know the concussion issue and the, and the painkiller issue that are pressing on them, and, and they could be a little more proactive here. It's amazing when you note that the NFL spent 100 million dollars on concussion research, 100 million and nothing on cannabidiol, on cannabinoids, on medical marijuana, nothing. million couldn't even touch the issue. There are studies that show that the people who use cannabis have better uh, recovery from concussion. Uh, There's a UCLA study that showed that uh, young adults that suffered a traumatic brain injury, there was 450 of them that that they studied – The patients that had been regular cannabis users were 80% more likely to survive a traumatic brain injury. 80% better survival chance? And we don't want to give that to our players? Of course, this is all about the NFL's image. It's all about the NFL being perceived as uh, pro-drug or pro-crime or whatever it might be construed at. But the speed at which this issue is changing, the only thing I can even compare it to is the change uh, in acceptance of gay marriage. Just 10 years ago, 2006, gay marriage was a wedge issue that destroyed political careers. It uh, It was a poison pill that you put on a state ballot in order to destroy democratic support. It was a major tactic of the the Bush uh, strategy, uh, the 2006 uh, and the 2006 congressional strategy. And now just 10 years later, the opinion is completely flipped on the issue. We are in the middle of that flip on marijuana with now a Republican plurality in support. The NFL is always interested in the bottom line always interested in the money and the faster people come around to understanding medical marijuana the less they're going to be supporting the NFL allowing its players to beat their heads up without taking a look at the ma- the medical marijuana in their own state again 20 out of 32 teams already play where medical marijuana is legal if Florida passes medical marijuana and Missouri passes medical marijuana this 2016 that'll be 24 out of the 32 teams. Three-quarters of the teams will play in medical marijuana states. There's no way they can keep this off the radar any longer.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network, CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com
6: the
7: supreme
1: court is wrong on the second amendment okay maybe you're high too
3: get dot buzz. dot buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest excitement and new experiences dot buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics dot buzz appeals to groups active in blogging communications journalism advertising and marketing .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.Buzz.
2: We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law. To end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. I didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less
3: drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate.
6: Radical rant.
3: At a recent event, I had the chance to interview Rob Campia, the head of the Marijuana Policy Project. I asked him about the four states, Arizona, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts, in which MPP has successfully promoted marijuana legalization for the ballot, and generally about the direction of legalization. My question to Campia was this. In the progression of states that passed medical marijuana, we started with California, and that lets just about anybody use medical marijuana to the Western states that have condition lists but still let people grow marijuana, to later states that then took away the home grow rights, to now a few states that won't even let patients have actual marijuana. Are we going to see the same progression for marijuana legalization, where each successive wave of states becomes more restrictive than the previous states? Well, Campy didn't seem too pleased by the question. <laughs> and uh, he responded that it was important to remember that the first states to pass medical marijuana did so through initiative while the later states had to pass through state legislatures. The implication of course, is that sacrifices have to be made for political reasons in a legislature. You, you got to find a way to convince a majority of those politicians who are less understanding and supportive of marijuana reform. You got you got to get a majority of them to support it. And then conversely, the people voting on a citizen initiative are going to support greater liberties. They're going to understand the marijuana issue better than the legislature will. Well, that doesn't explain why MPP felt the need to add a no home grow zone around medical dispensaries in Arizona. That was a uh, 2010 Citizens Initiative, and similar zones around the pot shops in Nevada's 2016 Citizen Initiative. But, you know, I, I let it slide because really, Campia just indirectly answered the question I asked in the affirmative. Yes, as the medical marijuana states got more and more restrictive because they were coming from Citizens Initiatives and then moving to State legislatures, so shall be the progression for the legalized marijuana states. After this election, when it is likely California will legalize and we'll get at least two other states that will, I can see other states reacting by trying to forestall the inevitable legalization through minor reforms. Think about California in 2010. We had Prop 19, it was poised to legalize marijuana. So to undercut its support, then-Governor Schwarzenegger signed a decriminalization measure. So with the threat of arrest gone for minor possession, one of the talking points for legalization was suddenly off the table, and Prop 19 lost. I'm thinking if Massachusetts, which has shown a poll of 51% opposed to the measure, if Massachusetts goes down in 2016... I wouldn't be surprised to see the state legislature take up the issue in the intervening years and pass some sort of restricted marijuana legalization. They've already got decrim. I can see them pass some sort of restrictive marijuana legalization where there's no home grow, where it's tightly controlled state grows with people having to register on a on a registry to be able to shop at the state run stores. I mean, I can see that happening where legislators start to understand that if, if they don't pass legalization, the next time around, they're going to do it. In 2020, Massachusetts will pull it off. I could see that happening. So, the other initiative states, if they've got the initiative process, that is, I can see their legislatures moving forward with decrim if they don't have it already. Uh, I can see them moving forward with very restrictive no-home-grow type of legalizations. Another example of this would be the state of Ohio. Ohio had uh, has nothing and had nothing, and then in 2015 tried to legalize recreational and medical at the same time, failed spectacularly. This year, activists came back with better amendments, medical marijuana amendments rather than full legalization. And the Ohio legislature stopped that by passing their own highly restrictive no plant or no smoking medical marijuana no-home-grow medical marijuana. And now how much tougher is it going to be in Ohio to try to pass some sort of medical medical marijuana initiative when the state can say, hey, we already have medical marijuana? How much farther does that put marijuana legalization off in Ohio? So we've already seen the pattern. We've seen this happen three times now where when faced with the possibility that next time we might win, a legislature crafts something kind of Crappy in order to forestall that. And those states that uh, have uh, legislative uh, bodies, you know, and they don't have to worry about the initiatives, they're going to get lobbying for more commercial legalization alternatives. The stuff that uh, the Rand Corporation came up with, the stuff that Project Sam is promoting. Think of Washington state-style legalization with no home grow or Washington, D.C. style legalization with no pot shops. Other options that might be on the table would be state-run grows and stores. Like, imagine your state-run liquor store if the state made the liquor. (laughs) There could be non-commercial collectives like what we see in Spain. There could be decriminalized possession with retail and criminal production, like what we have in Holland, you know, the, the coffee houses in the Netherlands, where the, the retail side's legal, but the production side's still in the, in the black market. We might see Mark Kleiman's ideas of installing quota based distribution systems with consumer level registries and tracking. And the other factor that's affecting the progression of legalization nationwide is going to be the diminishing price and allure of legalized marijuana. Part of what attracts support for legalization is the money angle. For the initiative states, you know, we dream of forming successful pot businesses and or our current businesses benefiting from the economic boost. And in those even in the non-initiative states, the promise of increasing tax revenues without, you know, really losing any votes. But the allure of legalization fades as it becomes more commonplace. In 2013, if you're an American pot smoker, pot smoker looking to enjoy some marijuana legalization, you booked a flight to Denver or Seattle. In 2015, you might add Portland and Anchorage to your list of destinations. But by 2017, if you're east of the Mississippi, you might be heading to Boston or Portland, Maine for your weed experience. If you're in the freezing Midwest in the winter... Phoenix or Las Vegas is more attractive than cold, rainy Seattle or Portland, or snowy Denver, for that matter. I mean, think of casino gambling, right? It used to be you could only go to Nevada or Atlantic City, New Jersey. Then your local Indian reservation or your riverboat got a casino. Las Vegas, at least, had the entertainment and the attractions to survive the spread of casinos nationwide, but have you seen Atlantic City lately? The more states that add legalization, the less weed tourism there will be. And then the monetary side, the returns. Most of the states legalizing marijuana add a price-based tax. From Massachusetts' proposed 3.75% to Washington State's current 37%. We sell this idea of legalization to the legislatures and to the people by promising how much tax money that's going to raise for schools or law enforcement or whatever. And that works pretty well when the state's taking X percent cut off a $300 ounce. But is that tax argument going to work so well when the increased volume and production in more and more legal states ends up dropping the price down to $30 an ounce? If we tax by price, as the price falls, the revenues fall. And the only way to increase revenue would be to increase consumption. And I don't really see the government's getting behind the smoke more weed, we need taxes campaign. So... An alternative would be to tax marijuana by weight, such as California's additional proposed $9.75 per ounce tax on flour. But if you tax by weight, that tax becomes increasingly burdensome as the price of marijuana falls. A $9.75 tax on a $300 ounce works out to be a 3.25% tax. But when that ounce drops to $30, now the tax is almost a third of the price. And the greater the tax is as a proportion of the price, the more opportunity we create for the black market to undercut the tax. The more likely that is to happen, the less likely legislators are going to support legalization in the first place. So if we're going to continue the forward progress of legalization, we're going to have to shift away from these economic arguments that will become decreasingly effective as legalization spreads and prices drop. Instead, We should be focusing on the injustice of locking people up for a substance safer than alcohol and the people's right to do with their bodies and minds whatever they choose, so long as they harm no others. Whether legalization raises money, breaks even, or costs money is irrelevant. All right, folks, that's all the time we've got for hour one. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back right after the top of the hour here with more on CannabisRadio.com. Hour two. Toker Talk Radio is next. And then after that, at five o'clock, you've got Stoner Jesus joining you from Stoner Heaven. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll save your stony soul. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belville Show. The Rust Belville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a scene,
2: you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it and it goes down smooth.
1: Cannabis. plus your calls live at 971-533-7111
6: they're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards listen to Enema man and
5: snoopy snoopy poop dog
2: what's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel gateway theory doesn't work it's a reality
7: how is it
5: real don't <laughs>
3: Welcome back, everyone. Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio is in effect. It's our final hour of broadcasting here from the Ardea Condominium Towers on the south waterfront in beautiful league of potland, Oregon. It's our last hour for the week. We've made it to the weekend. Oh, it's been a tough week for me, folks. This last Sunday, I was, like, in bed, like, just laid up. I had my lower back was killing me. I couldn't hardly move. And now the, uh, the lower back pain has kind of migrated now into my, uh, my right leg. (laughs) So I think it's this terrible chair I'm sitting in. Obviously I'm spending all day writing and researching and talking to you and it's not good for me. And I don't have a dog anymore. And I used to, I used to get up every now and then and walk my dog. (laughs) And so, uh, I don't know, maybe I need to get a dog. Maybe that's the solution. Anyway, thanks for uh, bearing with me and uh, bearing with some of the technical difficulties we've had this week. Uh, we're looking to improve our technical situation as quickly as the donations and sponsorships allow. So we will soon have a second laptop for the show, and I think that'll help a lot of that hard drive st- stutter. I'll be able to pull up uh, websites and such on the second laptop and uh, allow this laptop just to run the run the stream. I think that'll make it a lot better. Let's get to a, a quick marijuana story here. Uh, <laughs> this one's uh, being reported off the Telegraph in the UK where they had a uh, British Airways flight on its way to Crete. Uh, had to turn turn back, had to turn the, uh, the plane around when a nasty smell filled the cabin. Passengers complained of smelling a foul odor reportedly compared to the smell of cannabis. On the flight to Heraclion after takeoff from the airport Thursday morning, the pilot turned back as a precaution, and the flight was met by fire crews when it landed 90 minutes later. Um, I'm telling you what's happening here. (laughs) Someone smoked some weed on the plane. All right. When they landed the plane, they searched through the whole damn thing. They didn't find any weed. Right. I'm betting anything. Somebody had a vapor pen or somebody had a joint and they tried to smoke it in the loo in the laboratory. And then that smell, uh, started to fill the cabin. That's, that's my bet. So, uh, what a shame for the, these, these people on the flight trying to make to their holiday, to get the plane turned around. Now, you know, my attitude on this, I think the, that marijuana smoking shouldn't be, uh, banned on flights. It should be, uh, required. <laughs> I think, uh, I think they ought to just fill the cabin with some cannabinoids. They ought to just vape it right into the uh, the, the plane's uh, air supply. First of all, we get the babies to sleep. That would be nice. Get all the babies to go to sleep. And second of all, all these people who got the stress over flying, that would be alleviated, right? Take care of that flight anxiety. And third, you ever tried to sit in a coach uh, seat, a coach middle seat for a six-hour cross-country flight? Be nice to be a little high, wouldn't it? Have the have the little uh, carts come through and uh, and bring you the the little six the little little four ounce cup of soda and uh, a marijuana cookie. Here you go. Here's your here's your marijuana cookie. Enjoy the flight. <laughs> Fly High Airlines. If I ever get super rich, that's what I'll do. I'll form Fly High Airlines. I don't think the FAA would let me though, would they? They'd put an air marshal on the flight and shut that shit down, wouldn't they? Oh well great idea while it lasted we're going to take a break and uh, when we come back we've got some updates on industrial hemp a few more states have passed some industrial hemp legislation we'll tell you which ones when we return
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network.
8: Play is Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
2: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room
3: full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is
8: anybody
3: home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains,
2: customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space
5: Oh, yeah. Yo, 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 it's your boy, T.J. Trinidad James. You're listening to Dr. Dino on Cannabis Confidential. L.A., what up? Nickname James, man. I'm worried you like I like.
8: People were so excited to see you supporting our industry. And it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to.
5: That was my first one ever going to. So that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh, man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think. We look down, per se, on what we enjoy.
7: Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. I feel like
5: palm trees, make yeah.
1: The Russ Bellville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since
3: 2009. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's seeds at herbiesheadshop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's seeds in no way intends to encourage the use of illegal substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's seeds at herbiesheadshop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Bell, Bell Show and four. Twenty Radio.
1: Pod Two Point Oh. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everybody, and it is nine minutes after the hour. Got some some updates. It is definitely Friday, folks. We have some updates on industrial hemp to bring up. Over the past couple of weeks, a few states have moved forward on passing industrial hemp legislation. On the 18th, Rhode Island Governor's Gina Raimondo signed a bill legalizing the production and processing of industrial hemp for commercial purposes in the state. It was House Bill 8232. It was introduced in May. The original bill was only going to allow the Narragansett Indian tribe to work in industrial hemp. The bill was amended in the House Committee of Health, Education, and Welfare to apply to everybody in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, The legislation reads in part, quote, Hemp is an agricultural product which may be grown as a crop, produced, possessed, distributed, and commercially traded pursuant to the provisions of this chapter. The department shall adopt rules to provide for the implementation of this chapter, which shall include rules to require hemp to be tested during growth for THC levels and to require inspection of hemp during sowing, growing, season, harvest, storage, and processing. It prohibits the department from adding any rules that prohibits anybody from growing or distributing hemp, based on the fact that it's illegal under federal law, and of course, the uh, the farm bill allows states to move forward on uh, industrial hemp. Anyway, we also have a bill that was uh, passed, uh, an amended bill passed in uh, North Carolina the very next day, the nineteenth. This was uh, Governor McCrory in North Carolina. Passed a industrial hemp uh, uh, bill, House Bill 992, which quote modifies the industrial hemp research program by clarifying the definition of research purposes and the responsibilities of licenses, creating civil and criminal penalties for violations of the industrial hemp program, and granting rulemaking authority to the industrial hemp commission. It's introduced in April, passed in June, signed on June third passed the House in June and the Senate in June was signed into law on July 11th. Now, the change here is that you know North Carolina was already a hemp state. It was already a state that allowed uh, hemp research. but research was very narrowly defined. You know, you know only a, a university can plant you know small crops to test this or that. These amendments just basically opened it up. Open it up and clarified that you know a large scale grow can also be considered uh, research, and and by allowing this hemp commission to be able to write some of the rules, the hemp industries themselves can help to guide them on what is going to work and what is not going to work. So they're going to study and investigate marketplace opportunities, study and investigate uh, industrial hemp cultivation best for the soil in North Carolina. Um, agronomy research for growing conditions and harvesting methods, seed research on various types of industrial hemp, uh, the ability to market certain hemp as North Carolina varieties, uh, types of hemp that can be grown in the state, how it could be, uh, decorticated, how it could be used and so forth. So, uh, there's another one. Uh, we've got Pennsylvania. Uh, has signed just today. This uh, story comes across where the new right, the new law in Pennsylvania allows individuals to farm and sell the plant with strings attached. They do have to go through an agricultural pilot program and follow the regulations of the new hemp research board. The democratic governor in the state in a statement said he believes legalizing the crop is a smart move and he expects to bring economic gains uh, to the state of Pennsylvania And uh, so that we add Pennsylvania. I think this brings us up to, what, 20 or 21 of the, uh, of the U.S. states that now have industrial hemp. We'll have to find out exactly how many. But, uh, again, just uh, becoming more and more obvious that we have to support hemp in this country. And one other story on hemp. Uh, this is the, uh, a story about the Kentucky State Fair and a cattle farmer named David Neville – is crusading for something called the Kentucky Hemp Dog, and it's the Kentucky Hemp Dog would be a hemp-based uh, uh, hot dog we're talking about, and just an interesting uh, interesting story here. So, what he's doing is, is, is it's no, it's a standard hot dog, right? with you know all beef hot dog at the state fair but he's got a hemp protein that you know when they grind up and make hot dogs this hemp protein is asking is acting as the adhesive that keeps the hot dog together uh hemp hearts basically being added so so these hot dogs are getting the additional benefit of hemp oil now there's no thc involved in this none of the hot dogs not get you high but you're going to get extra omega-3 and omega-6 So we're using hemp in the process of manufacturing these hot dogs. And, you know, it's not like a hot dog is the most healthy choice, but at least it's a little healthier now. These all come from a product line by Victory Hemp Foods. They're currently cultivating 100 acres of hemp in Kentucky. The uh, hemp dog is just one of their products that they're looking at, at putting out. Uh, they also want to get just raw hemp hearts out to people to be able to use. It's a first for the Kentucky State Fair to to have uh, not just not just a a hemp based hot dog, but a uh, being locally produced for this fair. It's just is a great story. And it just further shows how hemp is becoming more and more mainstreamed in this country. More people are starting to understand this. And as America turns to looking at its diet and trying to be healthier, with the stigma of industrial hemp starting to fall away, people are becoming more in tune and more receptive to this this message of hemp as a foodstuff as hemp seeds and hemp oil being a vital supplement to our diets. We've seen this throughout history. We've seen it throughout the the animal kingdom. If you put out a whole bunch of seeds, a whole bunch of bird seed, some of it's hemp seeds, some of it's other seeds, birds will pick out the hemp seeds first. They, They will go for those first and pick around all the other seeds. They'll eat the other seeds later, but they know what the good stuff is. I think we are going to see, as, as hemp becomes more and more legalized, and, and, and really, I, I can't see any prohibitions on hemp lasting much longer. I can't see it lasting much more through the first term of the, whoever's president. It's just there's too much opportunity in this. There's too many farmers that want to see this happen. And it's going to become increasingly necessary for us to turn to a more plant-based diet and to have hearty, savory foods in that plant-based diet. And hemp can go a long way to helping that. We're only yet begun to figure out what we can make out of hemp. Think of all the things that they make from turkey or soy or tofu at this point. Imagine unleashing that sort of culinary research on industrial hemp, on hemp seed. On hemp hearts, uh, it just boggles the mind. We're going to be able to get hemp burgers. We're going to be able to get all sorts of great stuff out of this. And growing all this hemp, growing all this hemp as a rotational crop is, is going to help the other crops as well. One of the biggest problems we've got going on in our agriculture system is the the Monsantoization of our crops, these genetically modified organisms that are resistant to the uh, the petrochemical-based fertilizers that are sprayed on them. And that's that's what they're engineered for, is to be more resistant to these petrochemicals. As we use hemp as a rotational crop more and more, we'll have less need for these fertilizers. We'll have less need for these pesticides and fungicides that get sprayed on our plants. We can return to a more natural style of agriculture where hemp is a rotational crop that's used one season compared to, you know, next time we'll plant corn, next time we'll plant this, next time we'll plant that, keeps the soil vital. You can plow under a lot of the, uh, the hemp waste and add nutrients to the soil. It's phytoremediative, so if there's been any sort of toxins, all of these previous petrochemicals that have been sprayed on these fields for years and years, the hemp plants actually suck that up and make the the soil cleaner and better and more nutritious for the next crop you plant in there. These realities will become more and more obvious. And it'll become impossible to resist the public will once we start to understand. And especially, I, I really think what moves this is marijuana legalization. You know, hemp could have been legalized anytime for the past 40 years because it's not a drug, but people so associate it with its cousin that's psychoactive that that marijuana prohibition was kind of the anchor that was keeping hemp down as marijuana legalization happens. Well, there's no logical reason whatsoever to, to, to restrict industrial hemp. So once again, it's all one plant and we need to fight for it all as one plant because legalizing it for the personal use, for whatever reason is what's going to free it up for medical, spiritual and industrial uses for all the rest of the reasons.
2: really clouding the energy in this room right now
3: sorry man didn't mean to harsh your mellow it's 420 here on a Friday in beautiful legal potland Oregon I'm going to smoke me some beautiful legal pot (laughs) I hope you get the chance to do the same someday or if you're in a legal state right now or if you're in a legal illegal state screw it do it anyway I ain't stopping you
6: and neither is prohibition We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
8: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Voober vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens, providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship. Voober vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way.
3: Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs.
1: You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free repairs are priced for people who work for a living stop by the fingerboard extension downtown corvallis at 120 northwest 2nd street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
1: pod uh, 2.0 it's not your father's woodstock weed this is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Hope you're feeling a little more stony. I know I am. Mr. Bull, just for good measure. My leg is killing me. Um, (laughs) So there's a a topic, story in attention right now, ATTN online. (sighs) Features our good friend, Paula Montano, the deputy director of Normal and one of the leading experts when it comes to marijuana and drug testing. And the headline of the story is the reason saliva drug testing hasn't caught on. Now, it refers back to this Michigan pilot program we've been telling you about, where Michigan State Police are going to pick five counties, and they're going to do this saliva-based drug testing program. And the idea is we take a little swab, we put it in your mouth, and that's going to tell us whether or not you've been using any sort of drugs. But the problem is the, the accuracy of these tests. These field tests are notoriously inaccurate, and particularly when it comes to marijuana. What they're going to do is use this saliva test to try to detect marijuana, meth, cocaine, and opioids. The problem is the tests aren't that good at detecting marijuana. Now think about this a little bit. What happens when you smoke pot? what's one of the biggest side effects of smoking pot? Dry mouth. Yes, dry mouth, of course. So you're going to take a test to collect saliva on people who aren't producing any saliva. <laughs> you got too much dry mouth. That's what Paul Montano says. He says, quote, by and large, the reason oral saliva testing wasn't ready for prime time years ago was because it wasn't particularly sensitive to picking up carboxy THC. That shouldn't surprise anybody who knows anyone or has tried marijuana themselves. One of the immediate side effects of inhaling cannabis is a dry mouth. So if you've got a product that is being used that tends to at least temporarily dry out the saliva glands, having a test that relies on collecting saliva isn't probably going to be very effective (laughs) End quote. And, uh, that's the problem is they find people that have recently used marijuana. They use the test on them. The tests come back negative negative but they should come back positive because they just smoked pot. So that's not really going to help. And then the problem is while it is pretty good at finding the other drugs, this is Armentano. He says, quote, that's the problem with oral fluid testing. If the focus was on some of these other drugs, they'd roll the test out anyway. But since it doesn't really work for marijuana, there's never been a really big rollout for that. End quote. This goes behind what I've always said is that marijuana is the grist that keeps the drug mill running. Marijuana is a stinky product, so it's easy to detect. It's a bulky product, so it's harder to hide. And it's a popular product, so there's plenty of people to catch. From a cost-benefit analysis, going after marijuana as a police organization makes a lot of sense. It's easy to catch, and there's a lot of people to catch. So when they're when they're talking about oh we need to keep the roads safe, we need to be able to detect people that are impaired behind the wheel, they're talking about marijuana. Because they know few people use cocaine or meth or heroin. And even if they do use it, it doesn't stay in their system very long. You might catch the guy who just snorted a line and got behind the wheel. Yeah. But you're not going to catch the guy that did cocaine a couple of days ago, and now you've pulled him over. When it comes to the guy for weed, yeah, you can catch the guy who smoked weed a couple of days ago. You're going to, you're going to have those uh, positives show up for people longer term, especially medical marijuana patients and frequent recreational consumers. So it's not in their economic interest to roll out a drug test that doesn't catch weed. There's just not enough positives to be gotten off of the few heroin, coke, and meth users. In that small window of time, you can catch them. And this same principle applies to the... (laughs) Sorry about that. The same principle applies to the rehab industry. Same idea. If you tried to run a drug rehab and just relied on the people that were coming in for Coke, meth and heroin. Number one, you wouldn't have enough clients coming through the door to pay the bills. Number two, your relapse rates and your success statistics would, uh, would crater because there's physical hooks and, and addictive qualities to the hard drugs that you don't find with marijuana. And, Because so many of the marijuana consumers, over half of them, are sent to the rehabs by the criminal justice system. You're not going to have as many customers. This is why marijuana prohibition has been held on to with a death grip by the people in power in this country. Because it is the one little Jenga block You pull that one and the whole tower comes down. You pull marijuana out of the drug war and the drug war is not cost effective. It's not profitable for the private prison industries, for the drug rehab industries, for the drug testers, for the cops and their asset forfeiture. You pull marijuana out of the war on drugs. There is no longer a war on drugs. And they know that. this whole prohibitionist economy has been set up. And it's not just on the other side. It's not just on our opponent's side that have grown used to this prohibitionist economy, but also on our side, we've grown used to a prohibitionist economy. We've grown used to the idea of $300 ounces and be able to grow a few plants in your basement and in your garage and be able to sell them to your friends and make a lot of money and In the early days here of legalization, we've been able to get legislatures used to the idea of making big tax revenue off of legalized marijuana. Both their side and our side are operating from this false reality that prohibition has created. This false reality where marijuana is scarce and expensive. As marijuana is increasingly legalized, it becomes... Ubiquitous and cheap. Think of how much tax revenue we raise off of tea. Probably not a whole lot. But lots of people drink tea, don't they? Well, that's about the same level of agriculture and processing in a fully legalized market that marijuana would have. It would cost about the same as tea. Maybe more. But roughly the same talking about two different leaf crops. But right now, cannabis costs about the same as saffron. Saffron is the most expensive other than, you know, illegal drugs. Saffron is the most expensive legal plant out there. Legal plant product. Saffron is a spice. And what saffron is, is the stamens of the flower of a crocus. It's a crocus flower, right? and there's just three you know, stamen's are like the little pointy and tanny you know like the little hairs right and there's three stamens per crocus flower and you have to process hundreds of thousands of these flowers and hand pick the stamens there's not a machine that can do this you have to hand pick these things and there's families that work 19 hour days cuz there's a three week harvest system uh, har- harvest season where you can get these stamens fresh right can't get them too early can't get them too late so for three weeks straight, these families that work 19 hours a day, hand picking three little threads out of the flower of a crocus, and you have to have—I don't remember the exact numbers—but it's something like 225,000 stamens, like 75,000 flowers, to make a pound of it. I think it was, or was it an ounce? No, it was a pound. Yeah, you to know, make a pound of this stuff, and I can get this stuff—the fresh, hand-picked saffron, freeze-dried and flown from Italy or Spain for like $119 an ounce, 140 an ounce, right? So with the labor intensity and short season involved with saffron making it 119 an ounce, why should cannabis be so expensive? It's not as labor intensive. It certainly produces more per flower. Than three little stamens. you don't need 75,000 pot plants to come up with an ounce of weed, right? (laughs) There's no reason weed should cost as much as it does. So as legalization happens and as this price starts to, you know, equalize and become more realistic, our side is going to have to adjust a whole lot of how we think about marijuana. So it's not just it's not just them. It's not just them, uh, uh, you know, the drug testers and, and all those guys. There's, there's a whole lot of paradigms that are going to shift over the next 10, 20 years. It's going to be a point where when I'm in my late 60s, early 70s, my stories of what marijuana was like are going to seem completely daffy to young people. They're not going to understand it whatsoever. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm kind of actually looking forward to it. So this Michigan uh, Michigan saliva drug testing thing. They, they so badly want to have a magic bullet. The public, the law enforcement. We got them used to this magic bullet idea with the breathalyzer for alcohol. And they so desperately want to have some magic number, some magic uh, device that detects when it's okay to punish a pot smoker for driving. How about we get away from trying to judge people by the content of their urine or blood or saliva and judge them by what they're actually doing. If you pulled a guy over for a, you know, busted taillight and through your investigation, you found him to be a pot smoker or suspect him to be stoned. Why do you think he's necessarily a danger? If he was driving in a dangerous way, wouldn't you have noticed that? It just, it boggles my mind because for decades now, there's been marijuana smokers in this country. And in all 50 states, it's been illegal to drive while high. And people have been caught driving while high and they've been prosecuted and convicted and fined and jailed for it. What is it about legalization that changes that equation at all? Why is it that we weren't clamoring for a magic device to catch stone drivers in 1999 or 1989 or 1979? Why Why now? What is it about legalization that changed any of that? How did legalization invent Marijuana and cars. Anyway, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit about uh, opioids and how the DEA is being pressured by some senators to reduce the
6: supply
3: when we return.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late.
3: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
8: Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store?
0: I don't remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared, don't take my picture here. What
8: are they going to say, Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean,
6: come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David
5: Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com.
1: This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com.
3: With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs' offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era.
1: Warning, it's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everybody. It's 39 after the hour. And remember, coming up at the top of the hour, we got Stoner Jesus coming to you live here on CannabisRadio.com. He'll save your stony soul. And uh, trust me, you need it. I know what you've been doing. I saw what you did. Oh, thinking about the future, man, thinking about the future of marijuana and where it'll be when I'm 70, where it'll be in the next 10 to 20 years. And as I'm thinking about that, it brings me to a release that I got today from the Drug Policy Alliance. My friend Amanda Ryman out there at DPA sent this off, and it it, uh, was a, a position paper or position statement, I guess, from Drug Policy Alliance, informational page, what have you, uh, about supporting marijuana reform. It's like, great, that's great. Let's support marijuana reform. And it talked about, you know, supporting the right of adults to possess and use cannabis and then setting up, you know, legal blah, 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 and, you know, ending commercial problems, etc. right? And it bothered me because as I looked at this, there was a word very conspicuously missing. And that was cultivation, and so I let her know, and, and they're, they're going to update it. And I, I'm, I feel, you know, positive about that. But I worry as we move forward that our drug reform organizations need to make sure to put an emphasis on the right of people to cultivate their own cannabis. That the cultivation of cannabis for personal use cannot be something worthy of punishment, cannot be a crime. Washington State needs to fix this. And as I mentioned in the diminishing uh, returns rant, I think as legalization goes on and more states pass it, more and more of them are going to be no-home-grow states or states with a no-home-grow halo like what we're going to see in Nevada where you're not going to be able to grow your own cannabis if you live within 25 miles of a pot shop, which means forget about it if you live anywhere populated in Nevada. You live anywhere in Reno, Tahoe, Carson City, or Las Vegas, forget it. You're not going to be able to grow pot. And this is, this is concerning to me because I believe that there's a, a bit of regulatory capture going on here where the pot industry, especially when we talk about Arizona and Nevada, and there's some of this in Massachusetts too, by the way. Uh, in all three of those that were written by Marijuana Policy Project, the main one supported by them but was written by a different group. So in Massachusetts, Arizona, and Nevada all have uh, portions of those initiatives that are clearly carved out to protect the existing medical marijuana industries and to protect the future commercial industries by preventing or obstructing the right of people to to cultivate their own cannabis we need dpa and mpp and normal to clearly state that it is a priority that home grow be included in future legalization that it's just as wrong to lock someone up for cultivating cannabis as it is for them to possess it 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 makes no sense right like <laughs> If you're going to recognize my right to possess the flower of the plant, why can't I just grow the plant myself? The rest of the plant isn't harmful. At least, I mean, I should say it like this. The rest of the plant isn't what you perceive to be the harm, prohibitionist. If the prohibitionist is going to relent and allow us to have the flower itself, the part that makes us high, why should they not allow us to have the the root ball, the stalk, the leaves, the seeds? everything that goes into creating that flower. Now the argument would be, well, because you don't want them to do so commercially. You don't want there to be a black market. Yada, yada, yada. Fine. Bust people who are doing that, but don't bust people who are just cultivating the plant so that they can get the marijuana that the law allows them to have. Legalization of marijuana without home grow is basically condemning people to have to shop from private uh, providers for that product. If I live in Florida, I can have an orange tree. I can pick my own oranges and make my own orange juice. If I live in Nebraska, I can raise my own cattle. I can make my own own steaks, have my own uh, uh, hamburger, right? we've got to make sure that our organizations don't get too co-opted by these industries that are forming and end up lobbying against our right or not standing up strongly enough for our right to cultivate our own cannabis. Now in this future of legalization that I see, I can see big expanse of cannabis fields grown by major corporations harvested by mechanical means at a huge scale, ground up with no concern as to which strain or that strain, maybe very, you know, narrow band of, of strains mass manufactured into packs of 10, uh, Budweiser joints or whatever you want to call them. And that's fine. I'm all for this big mass commercialization, industrialization of creating marijuana. I believe that's going to, you know, drop the price. Get it, it's going to be good for the consumer, so long as that's not the only choice. I'm cool. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I'm cool with Budweiser. I'm cool with Coors. I'm cool with Miller. And and plenty of it is sold around here. I don't know anybody who drinks it, but. Plenty of it is sold around here. But we also have the option for all these mass amounts of, of craft breweries that are in this state, in this even just this city. I go to the, the grocery store and I see bell peppers and oranges and onions and all sorts of things for sale. But I can also go to the Thursday farmer's market across the street and get it directly from someone who grew it in bulk. That's what I want to see for marijuana. I'm fine with we, we end up with a world where you, you stroll into the pot shop and you buy a, 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 a pack of 10 pre-rolls or you buy some you know, shatter or you, you get some vapor cartridge or whatever. That's great. Commercialized, industrialized, standardized. That's fine. So long as I can go to the first Thursday farmer's market where the guy's got bulk cannabis and seedlings and seeds for sale and be able to buy that as well. I don't know how that's, this is gonna this is gonna turn out this is a one of the pivotal the pivotal moments the pivotal issues as marijuana legalization continues to unfold now so far so far so good because out of four states only one doesn't allow home grow out of the five states that may possibly vote on legalization uh this fall only one of them establishes some sort of Restriction on home grow. That's Nevada with its 25-mile halo. And to be fair, Arizona is actually removing the halo. I mean, the halo will still exist for medical, but the halo won't exist for recreational. So you could grow and call it recreational and you'd be fine. But I worry. I worry about the home grow angle on this. And so far, the evolution in the initiative states has been to make better marijuana legalization. So far, nobody else picked up on Washington State's five nanogram per se limit. So far, none of them picked up on Washington State's absolute ban on home grow. So far, none of them have moved to have a super high taxation rate like Washington State's 37%. So we are moving in the right direction so far. The question is, what happens after 2016? What happens when the low-hanging fruit of marijuana legalization have been picked? We have to start moving legalization into a few of the other more difficult initiative states. Or we have to get it through legislatures. I fear that that home grow provision is going to be too easily traded. It's going to be too attractive of a bargaining chip. It's going to be too much of a scare for the legislatures and law enforcement and too easy for the, for the industry-backed organizations to trade away. And I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know how we do this unless it's just to raise such a stink from a public relations perspective. To have all of us who are supporters of organizations like Normal, DPA, and MPP to write them and to tweet them and Facebook them and let them know, protect home grow. Support home grow. If we don't have the right, this is something that goes back to Keith Strop's founding of normal in in 1970, that the right to home grow is the only check and balance we've got over governments and corporations and the way that they regulate cannabis. Without home grow, we don't have a check on overtaxation. Without home grow, we don't have a check on uh, crap inferior weed production. And like I said, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm glad so far that it looks like Oregon, California, Arizona. Did Massachusetts have a limit? I'm, now I'm thinking maybe it did. I'll have to look that up. Maine will have home grow. But if anything, if this turns out like it turned out for the uh, for the medical marijuana states, it's something we've got to worry about. All right. Real quick, I mentioned that uh, I was going to talk qu- uh, a little bit about opioids, The uh, Senator Dick Durbin and some other senators have joined him on a letter that they've written to the DEA calling for the Office of Diversion Control to maintain stricter quotas, lower quotas, on the production of OxyContin and other powerful opioid medications. This is something we've covered on the show in the past. A lot of people don't know that. Oxycontin, these other heavy-duty painkillers are Schedule II drugs, and since they are, the DEA actually has to approve how much your factory makes of these drugs. And in the medical marijuana era, there have been increases of between 1,000 and 15,000 percent, depending on which one of these drugs we're looking at. I think the average of all of them was an increase of like 12 times, like 1,200 percent an increase in the amount of this these drugs they're allowed to produce. Like in 1996, they were producing, I don't know, 60 tons of Oxy, and then by the end of you know 2014, I think it was, they were producing uh, 160 tons, something like that. It, it, huge increases. And then when we asked the DEA's Office of Diversion Control about this, there was a story that asked them about this. They got a hold of a guy named Rusty Payne, who was a spokesperson, and they asked, you know, why, you know, we've got these opioid crisis, we got the, we've got these addiction crisis going on. Why are you uh, green lighting so much production of these powerful opioid painkillers? And the answer was that we have to produce enough of the opioid painkillers so that when the illicit users get all of theirs, there's still enough left for the legitimate pain patients he used some metaphor, it was like once the illicit users have fished out of the pool, there needs to be enough left for the legitimate users can you imagine them saying that for a weed bust, for a medical marijuana thing well officer, we had to grow 70,000 marijuana plants because there had to be enough for the medical marijuana patients after all the recreational users got theirs We'll keep you posted on what happens with that uh, letter from those senators.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The
5: Cannabis Radio Network.
1: NORMAL stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: I beat China all the time.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. Arr, har, har, har. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and
3: you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Just about five minutes to the top of the hour where Stoner Jesus will be joining us live here on CannabisRadio.com. Winding up the last couple of minutes here on the show as we head into the weekend. I'll be attending the Portland Normal membership meeting tomorrow. First one I've been at since I resigned as the executive director back in January. Lots of changes happening because uh, Portland Normal's treasurer and co-founder, Randy Quast, is now the acting executive director for National Normal. He should be flying in later tonight, so it'll be nice to see Randy again. Lots of changes going on. Uh, normal has uh put a call out for a new executive director. If you know of anybody who would be qualified for the position, check out blog.normal.org and scroll down to find the listing. They've got all the requirements and what they're looking for and so forth. And before you ask, no, I'm not applying. <laughs> I, I, uh, number one, I'm not qualified for the job, but number two, I don't think I can handle it. It is a high-pressure job, folks, and it's amazing the work that uh, Alan Saint Pierre put in for so many years. You know, it's uh, it's tough because Normal is like a real, you know, grassroots nonprofit organization. You know, it's not like working for MPP or DPA where they've got these billionaire backers, you know, and tons of funds. You know, working working for Normal means you got to find ways to stretch a dollar and make things work. But it is pretty rewarding, I gotta say. Um, Normal has an automatic kind of acceptance and goodwill uh, um, amongst the cannabis community, especially among uh, some of the older folks who we need uh, in the voting booths and we need to uh, convince to be on our side. So if you want more information on that, check out, like I said, blog.normal.org, and uh, you could apply to be Normal's new executive director. And uh, I've also made the suggestion that if Normal's going to be hiring, uh, and they're looking for someone to handle uh, media relations, they could do no better than hiring Tom Angel from Marijuana Majority. Uh, if you've not been following his work, he's, he also writes at Marijuana dot com. Uh, but follow him. Angel is with two L's. Tom Angel, A N G E L L, and this guy breaks more news on uh, marijuana reform than anybody else out there normal you do you'd be wise to hire this guy that's all the time we got for today time to head into the weekend for everyone here at cannabis i'm radical russ from beautiful legal potland oregon appreciate you joining us make sure you join us next week monday through friday as usual 3 p.m pacific time 5 p.m or 6 p.m eastern <laughs> For the Russ Bellville Show, the NPR of POT Stoner Jesus is live up next. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Bellville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at Radical Rust. Com. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you it, you roll it, you
2: smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you.